Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastside.co. Well, good morning. I got an incredible word from the Lord this morning. And I have a month stored up, so I'm only going to try to just preach one. And I've actually had this for quite some time. Um, it's called, And He Called Us. The title's He Calls Us. And it's about holiness. That's a kind of a weird word, isn't it? Holiness. It reminds me of religious people. Holiness. Holiness. It has such a serious tone. And it is serious. It's a, it's a various serious word. But it's lost its value in our culture. And God takes it serious. So if the Lord takes it serious, right, I think it's going to get my attention. And so I just want to kind of go over what holiness means. It's, it's mentioned about 800 times in Scripture. It's mentioned 80 times alone in Leviticus when God is putting together the Old Testament law. And it actually is to, uh, it means sacred. It means uh, holy or, or godly or blessed or it means righteousness and goodness. It means virtue. It means purity. There's a lot of different things that embody the idea of holiness. But the term that that best helps you understand is that you're called out by God. You're called to be separated out from other people in the world. And he said about the original church, which was Israel, he says, listen, I didn't pick you because I was impressed with you. This is what I read in it. I didn't pick you because you were the largest group. I picked you because you were the smallest group. You needed me the most, so I picked you. How many would say about themselves, maybe, I'm a kind of person that really needs God the most. I need him the most in the room. And don't look to the person to your left or right and say, nah, probably not you need him the most because you know who they are. <laughs> but it actually has this idea of being sacred and sanctity of God, this sacred thing to God. It's actually where we get the term to be sanctified. <laughs> to be set apart, to be called out by God. Called out to do what? And when we think about Christendom, we, think, we, we, we have this idea that we're called out not to go to hell. That is, that permeates the church. That what we're called out to do is just not go to hell. And that's not it. That's not what holiness means. That's not God's idea of what holiness is. For me and you, God calls us out to be like him. God calls us out to be transformed in his image so that we can well represent him. So that we can be, uh, so that he can gain glory by what he does in our lives. That he can gain glory that you're no longer the person you used to be. The people who used to know you should think about you. I can't believe that so-and-so is doing that. Or that's where they are. 
They should look at you and go, dang, that's the wildest thing I've ever heard. Because we're called out to be transformed into the image of Christ, to be holy, to be like him. And so my, my, I got another take of mine when I think about holy. I, I grew up in the Baptist church and didn't get saved until I was 28. A lot of you guys know all that. You've heard that a thousand times. That's a thousand and one. I got saved in the church of God, which is the holiness movement, which is interesting to me uh, because that's not really my personality or, you know, I don't have any connection or background to that. But I can remember when I first got saved and, and I was in this environment, they would say this, and it just, it has a ring to it, and it's kind of fun, and it's kind of our identity, it's kind of how we think if we've ever been in the church very long. I, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Y'all ever heard that? Anybody heard that beside me? I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I hope you're all three of those, but it's not some religious preacher bringing forth some mumbo-jumbo. There's actually truth to all that. We, we are saved from separation from God. We are healed. We are saved from being uh, divided from the promises of God. We are saved from ourselves, and we are alive to God. That's what it means to be born again. To be sanctified means to be set apart, doing the mission of God, understanding who God is, becoming in such a relationship like a husband and wife who have been married for 40 years where they start finishing each other's sentences. You need to be able to finish the Lord's sentence. You need to be in such a relationship with him that you know him. You've been set apart to become like him. That's what a Christian believer is. And there's some danger here. I'm here to warn you today. I want to warn you. Because there's, there's, there's this thought process that all you've got to do is be born again. You've got to... You've got to somehow acknowledge God, and, and you do have to acknowledge God, but you have to come alive to God, and you have to be transformed by him. There's too many believers in the church today that are walking around claiming the name of Christ with one foot in Brock talked about and, and, and that, that, are, that are really aren't the authentic thing. Why? Because they aren't living in resurrected life. They're not living in resurrected life, and this is not a new thing in Scripture. And so there's this process that God wants to take you on. Tell the person to your left and to your right, God's got a process for you. He's got a process of holiness. Go ahead and give him the word holiness. He's got a process of holiness. <coughs> Excuse me. The reason I say that is it's so important. We look at the Old Testament, and we and, and just I, well, this is what I want you to get from part of this message. Listen to this real quickly. This is what we do. We, we assign things attitudes, including the Old Testament. So when we think about the Old Testament as Christians, there's too many Christians that think that somehow the Old Testament is out of date and not really in vogue for the Christian today. We're a New Testament church, as oftentimes said. But you know what the Lord says about Leviticus? You know what the Lord says about Deuteronomy? You know what he says about Numbers? He says, it is holy. 
The Lord says it's sacred. Who are we to somehow proclaim it's missing the mark? It doesn't miss the mark. Jesus said about himself in Matthew chapter 5 that he came to fulfill everything that was written in the Old Testament. He is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is Jesus. It is holy. It is sacred to God. It's sacred to him. It needs to be sacred to me. But we have this thought that somehow it's out of date or it's, it's not. It's not valid anymore. But even about the Old Testament, this is what God says. He, he, if you, you have, it's, it's the whole of Scripture. So <clears throat> I'm trying to preach the whole book of Ezekiel today <laughs> without even reading one verse. But it's the whole attitude of Scripture where, where God finds the church. And there's just a couple of places that he finds the church and it happens over and over again. The whole book of Hosea is about how the people of God prostituted themselves to another form of thinking that got them away from the thinking of God. It's all through Scripture. And, And God the Father who believes that the Old Testament is sacred says that it is enough to make you flourish. It's enough to make you victorious. It's enough, if you do it, to make you prosper in everything you do. If you're careful to obey it. But we can't, right? We know that. And so he promises, he says, he says to you and me, that there's going to be this new covenant that's going to come, and it's going to be the grace covenant. Joel chapter 2 says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can be successful, empowered to do the Old Testament. The, The grace of God, the power of God working in you, that gives you the power to obey the Word of God. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can be happy. It's so that you can be obedient to God. And as you are obedient to God, that brings joy, incredible joy, joy unspeakable. Be holy as I'm holy. And so we've got, the first thing that we've got to do as Christians, and when I say this is, this is what I see all the time, I see, I see Christians who tolerate failure. Man, I love that scripture, brother. That wasn't even in anything I've got. But he says what he's going to do. You know, he says, he says he's going to restore the, what the canker worms have eaten, what the, what the locusts have eaten in your life. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about your failures. He's talking about what the devil took away or what a choice took away or what your ignorance took away when you weren't following him. He says, I'm going to restore that. I'm going to, I'm going to resurrect that. Michael's saying, I'm going to take dead places and I'm going to bring resurrection life to it. 
That's what he says he's going to do. That's what he wanted to. And we, we as people tolerate failure. Man, I love this time of year. The Olympics are on. Football season is 19 days away from kickoff, and who's counting? And there's this passion that comes forth that we're going to talk about in point two. But the thing we've got to do as believers is we've got to buy into this one thing, and it's number one. Number one, if you're taking notes, you need to be solid. You need to be passionate about your belief. You need to be established in this thing, that you were set up for success. Say it. You were set up for success. Say, I was set up for success. You've got to believe that God set you up for success. There's no one in the room that God's word and God's way isn't enough to make you successful. There's no past. There's no choice. There's no history that is bigger than God's ability to make you successful. And you've got to begin to believe that about yourself. I've been set up for success. Let's say that really loud I am set up for success. Isn't that good? He set us up for that. And we've got to buy in to that thought process. We need to go from a place of uh, we need to go from a place of complaining to a place of confidence. We need to understand the fact that God really does take interest in the affairs of men and women. He's interested in what's going on in your life. And he has a plan to make you victorious if you will do what he designed us to do. He will take us from a place of doubt to trust and from the valley to a, to a high place. He, he wants to move you from, from where you are. Um, when I start thinking about this time of the year, when I start thinking about football, uh, you know what's really great about the Olympics being here and football season being 19 days away? Deer season is just 30 something days away. I mean, Amen. it's a great time. But here, here, here's why I brought all that up, ladies is that I've got to make sure that as passionate as I am about those things, that my passion for the things of God does not wane or take second place. Am I, am I, am I passionate? When you start thinking about football teams and, and, and these athletes that are competing, you think about God, Paul saying, run the race as if to win. You know, you think about all the things that are in Scripture that encourage us to really go after it. But what I've been hearing from every coach in preseason practice is that we've got to have a passion. We've got to outwork everybody, and we've got to have a pay attention to detail. How do I know whether somebody's being successful? 
in their walk with Christ because they're passionate about the things of God. Because they're outworking everybody else to, to get to know the nature and the character of God. And they're paying attention to the detail in their life. That's challenging, isn't it? When you think about what it takes for a team to win and the effort level that it takes to win that, how much more do we need to put that same kind of passion and effort into the things of God? But we don't think that way. We think all we've got to do is just, ooh, and God's going to do everything else. And the truth of the matter is just not the case. Because this is what we ha this is what we find, we find we find that uh, that when we have to wait on the Lord, we get discouraged. And what God finds out about you and me is when we have to wait too long, what we start doing is we start looking for other things to satisfy our needs. We start looking for other things to begin to take the place of God's provision in your life. How many of you know that's true? Everywhere in Scripture, this is what happened. There are two things that happened. I want, you to, I want you to hear me and hear this about yourself. I don't want you to think about anybody that needs to hear this message. Two things. They started looking for other things to begin to replace the absence of of God's provision in their life with worldly things. They began to depend on the same things that the world depended on. Or they did what was right in their own eyes. It's one of two things. In Ezekiel, what's going on is that the priests of God, it says, turn their back on the Holy of Holies. In other words, they stood with their back towards the Holy of Holies. And they built an altar to the sun god, which was the god of fertility of that day, the worldly god of fertility, and they began to offer it incense in the temple. They began to depend on the world's way of doing things. And God was not pleased. And, and this is what he said. He said, listen, if you don't quit, if you don't repent, I'm calling you to repentance. Please stop it. One of the things that we do is we tolerate sin way too long in our lives. There's this thing that we know doesn't look like God, yet we do absolutely nothing about it. We just keep walking on as if, as if somehow it's just going to go away or it really doesn't matter to God if it doesn't go away. I think that's even more prevalent. It does matter to God. It matters to God whether you get rid of a bad attitude. It matters to God if you don't love like he loves. It matters to God if you don't forgive like he's required you to forgive. It matters to God how you manage your money. It matters to God whether you're addicted to something, whether you're depending on something to do what he asks you to do. And he says, I'm jealous about that thing. He calls the people of the church whores in this scripture in, in Ezekiel. 
He says, you're whoring yourself out. He says, you've gotten so bad, a, a good prostitute collects money. But you're such a bad prostitute that you're having to pay people to come sleep with you. And Ezekiel. And he says, when I show you who I really am, you're going to urinate all over yourself. That's what he says. And it's translated two ways. You're going to TT all over yourself. It's going to run down your leg, or you're going to get weak leg. I don't know which one. I like the DT myself. In other words, when you see my glory, when you see how what I've got for you and what I've set up for you, for you to be successful, then you see your condition and what you're choosing and the glory that I want you to live in and what is a possibility for you. It's going to scare you till you pee on yourself. That's what it says. I'm not making it up. It's in Ezekiel chapter 7. Look it up. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying there, God is merciful, and his mercy tries up, triumphs over judgment. But there's a place where God says about you that he's going to turn you over to your decisions. In other words, he's going to take his hand off of you and allow whatever fruit that you, of the seed that you're planting to bear fruit. He's saying that about you and me. Even if we're in his family, because it says, I, and I didn't count the number of times, but it's hundreds of times in Ezekiel, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Then you'll know. When you surrender to me, when you submit to me, when you start doing things my way, that's all he wants. And he says about you and me, I set you up for success. And what do you have to do? You have to do things the way I designed them. You cannot call the law out of date. You have to call it holy because I call it holy. You know what God did with the Old Testament? He just showed you his nature. He, you know what he said? He said, I don't sleep outside of uh, marriage. is sacred. Murder is not good. Don't steal. Honor your father and your mother. You know Why? They're not rules and regulations to make fun go away in your life. What they're doing is they're showing you the character and nature of God. He honors people, right? He is not a thief. He doesn't take something that's not his. He, everything about the law get, reveals the character and the nature of Jesus. Right? And he's saying, if you'll be like me, You'll prosper in everything you do. He tells Joshua, make sure that you write the word on your forehead. Keep it in the front of your mind. Walk in it. Make sure you don't swerve to the left or to the right. Do everything that it says, and you will make your way prosperous. Why? Because I've set it up that way. Because if you become like me, you have victory. So we have to wait on the Lord and don't look anywhere else. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. He's in the, he's in the waiting. Wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their you got to wait on him. 
what I see in the church so much is that we pin the blame of our condition on a generation that came before us. We blame somebody else for our condition. It's their fault. They did this to me. You just don't know my childhood. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. We heard a testimony last Wednesday. Was it last Wednesday? We heard Tabitha's testimony. Two Wednesdays ago, whatever it is, it's online. It's amazing. If anybody has a reason to blame her past, it's me and you. It's me. Because of the decisions I made, the choices I made when I was a young person, Miss Tabitha, because of what she was brought up in. We both could say that God's victory isn't for us because of our past. It doesn't matter what your past is. Quit making excuses about your lack of victory because of your past and the generation that came before you. It's not their fault. You are accountable to God. And whether you are uh, in the condition you are because of somebody else or choices you make, God has set it in place that you be victorious. He set it up that way. And if you don't believe that, you're never going to achieve that. You've got to believe that God set you up for victory. And then you've got to keep your passion and your focus and your effort and your pursuit pointed in the right direction. You've got to keep your eyes on the prize. You've got to quit blaming other people or other generations for your condition. And then you've got to not allow bitterness to come into your heart. You can't be bitter. Say that with me. I can't be bitter. I can't be bitter. You can't be bitter. You know, bitterness is the most tolerated sin in the church. If you were sleeping with somebody outside of marriage, what would we say as a church? Stop that. If you were stealing or abusing a child, what would we say in the church? Stop that. But with bitterness, we say, well, we'll help you get over that, darling. And bitterness is the most destructive thing in the church. It is the most effective instrument of the devil. And so if you're bitter, your pastor is saying, stop that. I heard two testimonies this week. It was amazing. Two amazing testimonies. Uh, somebody came to the ministry at, at West Stanley, and Robert prayed for them. They had, they had uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. They came in on a, with a cane, and he prayed for her to be healed. And he, he said there wasn't a whole lot, you know, there wasn't this, you know, this magnificent power that fell off. You know, it, it, it was just a prayer. I said, she came back this week without a cane, dancing, and said, my, my rheumatoid arthritis is gone. Yeah. 
I thought that was a powerful testimony. Then I heard another testimony. It was a person that came up with rheumatoid arthritis. And they came up for prayer to be healed. And the person praying over them said, I sense that you're bitter. And they said, I am. You know, my parents did such and such, and I've been bitter all my life. And they prayed for bitterness to go away. And they, they talked to her, and she confessed her bitterness, and she asked God to forgive her of her bitterness. Guess what? Her rheumatoid arthritis went away. She was healed because bitterness was the cause of the sickness. Can everybody hear this? Okay. And I prayed that as the Lord tore down the walls and the bitterness and the things that as he healed her soul, he would heal her body. So they were both rooted. In bitterness. See, God sets things up so that you can succeed. But if you refuse to begin to do things his way, you lock him down. You lock him up. You close heaven. And so this is what I want to encourage you to do today. I want you, I want you to believe that you can experience life as God intended for it to be lived. I want you to believe about yourself that you can experience life as God intended it to be lived. He said that he didn't come to kill steal and destroy in John 10, 10. He said, I came to give you life and give it to you to the full. He said, I came to give you life. It's available to you. Why don't you have it? The reason we don't have it is we're either looking to something else or we're doing what is right in our own eyes. One of two things. And God says, stop it. And you need to say, stop it. You need to quit tolerating sin in your life. You need to quit tolerating thinking that is contrary to God's way of thinking in your life. You need to quit it, and you need to quit it now. Now listen, I want you to understand that I understand that it's a process. And I understand that sometimes it's difficult, and you stumble, and you fail. And that's okay. Get back up, dust yourself off, and continue to deal with it. There's a major difference between stumbling and a lifestyle. There's a, there's a major difference between stumbling and an absence of passion and effort for the things of God. There's a major difference in that. And if you're going to live a life that is not passionate for the, ch the change and the victory that God wants to. We're going to pray for you. But how we're going to pray is, is that you get a passion and a revelation that God wants you to be victorious. So that healing can begin to come. So that he can begin to bring fruit and an incredible crop from the things that life and hell has stolen from you. Because that's what he wants to do. And so, 
I wrote down just a few things that I think are incredibly important as a believer. Because it's not about self-discipline. It's about being transformed into the image of God. Now, how many of you think that you can be transformed into the image of God with self-discipline? It just not, doesn't, say, doesn't even sound right, does it? You, you, it says that you're transformed from glory to glory, that you are, you are being made into the image of God, that, that you can have the fullness of God in your life, that you can be like Jesus to this world. Says all those things about you that you can be trusted. Now, how are you going to do that with self discipline? You cannot. You have to do that by surrendering yourself to the things of God. You have to do that by having a passionate pursuit of the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to come alive in your life to transform the way you think, where you once would have thought, man, here it goes again. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I guess I'm just going to go downhill from that. Huh? Uh-uh. No matter what I face, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And when perseverance has done its work, you'll be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. You'll be what Jesus called you to be. There's a process. Count it all joy. Why? Because you know in these trials, you're going to be transformed into the image of God. That's the gospel. That's what being holy is. It's committing to that process, that pursuit of God. And so here's some distractions. First of all, you can't fear success. There's too many of you people that fear success. You're so used to your dysfunction that you don't know what to do with yourself if you're not that dysfunctional. Stop it. Quit it. Be victorious. Quit thinking like that. Don't fear being successful. And don't fear what other people will say about you because you are successful. And when I'm talking about successful, I mean where you once were angry, you're peace. Now you're a peacemaker. Where you once were anxious, now you're full of faith. Where you weren't were, were worrisome, that you're no longer worrisome. Now you have confidence, a God confidence that we find in Jesus that we just sang about, that you become confident in him because you're dependent upon him, that you're being transformed into that, that you have this faith that you begin to move and you don't fear what other people are going to say about your success. And I'm talking about supernatural success. What I'm talking about is that you be transformed supernaturally, that you become something that people can't recognize about you, or that you pray for somebody else to become that, and they become that through you, because that's the ultimate call. The ultimate call is not, and and the holiness of God doesn't stop with your transformation. The holiness of God and being separated out to God is intended for you to carry the glory of God wherever you go. The intent of holiness is to be separated out, filled with God, and carrier of God. That you carry it to the nations. That you have faith and that you believe and that you act like God. And so we, we can't fear what other people are going to say about our success. And then... 
we got to make sure that we don't sabotage his work. I think there are so many Christians who absolutely sabotage the work of God because of a way of thinking. They refuse to start thinking some way or they speak curses and blessing out of the same mouth. They do things that are contrary to God acting as if they're a Christian. That is that is sabotaging the works of God. When you make a conscious decision to be addicted to something other than the Holy Spirit, you've made a conscious decision to sabotage the work of God in your life. When you're putting something else in the place that God intends, that will sabotage the work of God. And God says, he has mercy. Aren't you God? He, he has mercy. Aren't you glad that you don't bear the fruit of every seed you plant? Aren't you glad you don't bear the brunt of every seed that you plant? Maybe a, a watered-down version. Maybe God lets you get a little bit of return just so you can feel it, so you can be changed. And that's what mercy does. Mercy says you deserve this payment, but I'm not going to give you that payment, which is death. I'm going to, But if you've got this attitude of, my, both of my heels are in the sand and I'm not moving and I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what's right in my own mind or I'm going to turn to something else. I can tell you right now that that posture and position is going to bring the discipline of the Lord. And it's going to make you pee yourself when you see the fullness of what it could be. And don't go there. Stop it. Stop sabotaging your walk with God. Open up heaven. How do you open up heaven? You align with his word. You say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it your way no matter what it looks like, no matter what people think, no matter what the world's doing. I'm going to align with you, and that's just going to open you up on me. I want to open it up. I don't want to sabotage it. Michael's saying, don't close heaven, God. Open it. God is not going to close heaven. You are. His desire is to pour out His Spirit on all flesh so that they dream dreams, so that they prophesy, so that they have vision. That's His vision. That's not your vision. That's not your dream. That's His dream about you, which is bigger than your dream. So we have to allow the power and presence of God to, to, to overwhelm us and pursue him with great effort. And this is what I really want you to, to understand. And we said it last week. I'm just going to say it in a little bit different way. It's your testimony that gives God his reputation. Let me say that one more time. It's your testimony that gives God his reputation good or bad if you say you're a Christian and you act like I don't know what or you don't have any faith or whatever it is you treat people like dirt or whatever you have an anger issue or you're addicted it gives him a reputation that he's a God that tolerates those things and or is incapable of delivering you and bringing freedom to you because you closed up heaven. Your testimony 
of healing is the glory of the Lord. Right? It's your testimony of healing that's the glory of the Lord. You want to bring glory to God? He set you free. His word is enough to free you from everything. He's victorious. He set it up. The cool thing about the New Testament is we're called to live at a higher dimension than anybody in the Old Testament ever realized was going to be possible. In the New Testament, we have grace. It's the age of grace. The age of God's power living in each of us that gives us the power to do what we can't do on our own. It's available to you and me. It says to you and me, you can't be victorious because I'm in you. He says about you that rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. On to other people. Not only are you going to be healed, but you're going to get it. Let me just read something to you real quick. This is the last thing I'm going to close. I mean, I could preach this for about 30 more minutes, but I'm not going to. Let me just give you an idea. Now, the Beatitudes are in Matthew. We start in chapter 5, and I'm just going to read one particular one. But I, I just want to... I just want to uh, let you hear this and let you understand holiness just a little bit better. And let you understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament are linked. In the Old Testament, God said about the Old Testament that it is holy. It is sacred. Jesus said about himself in the beginning of the Beatitudes, I came to fulfill the Old Testament. I am the Old Testament. Right? Well, the Beatitudes say this. You heard it said, I'll start with, I'll just do one. You have heard that it was said, this is uh, 21, said that those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. And Jesus then goes, but I tell you the truth. And what he does is he takes the Old Testament law, and he says, you've heard it said don't murder? Well, let me tell you the heart of God about murder. If you're angry with your brother without cause, then you've committed murder in your heart. The whole idea of God is that you should emulate who he is. So the Beatitudes are saying, this is the nature and the character of God. Be like that. Golly, i got to finish. This is, this is so much. I really want you to get this. How many know that God loves them? God loves them. How many of you know God really loves you? God really, really loves you. This is what I want you to know. There's nothing that you could ever do or nothing, you, nothing that you've ever done that could separate you from the love of God. David said it. Ephesians says, says it. You cannot be separated from the love of God. Say that with me. I cannot. I cannot be separated from the love of God. Why? Because God is love and he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you so much that he sacrificed his son for you and me. Right? Y'all got that? Y'all understand that? Well, let me show you just a little bit about the glory of the Lord, about, about holiness. This is what he says 
about your enemies. Okay? He says, you've heard it said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who specifically use you and persecute you. Why? Because he does. How many of you persecuted God before you came to Jesus? How many of you, how many of you just blatantly disobeyed him before you came to Christ? Love those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet just your brethren only what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do that? Therefore you who are called out ones who are holy, perfect. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So what's he saying? Is loving your enemy an option for a believer? No. well that's impossible then why did Jesus tell you to do it it's impossible if you try to discipline yourself into perfection it's not impossible if you're transformed into the image of God as you obey his word as you do what he says so how I'm, I'm tying all this together you know, I hope, anybody tracking with me so how do you become an enemy of God? That's not God's decision. That's yours. You take what he provided at the cross and you say, either I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, I'm going to turn to the ways of the world. But I don't believe that what was done on the cross is enough to make me victorious. That makes you an enemy of God. I don't want to be that way. I don't want the Lord's hand to come off of me. I don't want to close heaven. I don't want to make heaven smaller. Don't you want to make it bigger? 
How do you make it bigger? You have a passion for the things of God. You work harder at your time with God, at being, how do you work hard? You work hard at seeing where you're missing the mark and allowing the Spirit of God to begin to transform you. You outwork anybody pursuing the Lord. I want to be a place that pursues the Lord wide open. Anybody else? Now, you got to you got to understand where your help comes from. you got to see striving and know his God because you can't do it yourself. All you can do is pursue him. All you can do is make time for him. All you can do is pray. All you can do is know the word, right? And he transforms you. Don't you want heaven to be opened up? Some of you in the room, I believe, really haven't given your heart to God. You acknowledge God but you really haven't surrendered to God. Some of you know that Jesus Christ is really Messiah, but you haven't turned to him. You've been hard-headed and stiff-necked. And it might be because of your past, the future past generation. I just pray that you would answer the call that God has on your heart and that you would surrender to him wholeheartedly. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Once again, thank you for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, please visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.